Welcome to Hot Plate, the conversations we should be having about our food and drink. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, drinks writer and former bartender Sarah Parniak joins us to talk about the low, no-alcohol beer trend. Then, a hot tongue, a not-so-hot study, and on Curious Kitchen, I introduce Joshna to one of my favorite snacks. So we have the wonderful Sarah Parniak in the Hello, studio. Welcome. Hello. And uh, Sarah is a drinks and travel writer and also the Canadian ambassador for Seedlip. Joshna, you remember we sampled I sure Seedlip do. in episode six, no, I believe. Nice recall. Yes. Uh, I, I have do it remember. written down in front of me, but <laughs> I won't lie. And what was the verdict? The verdict is that it was very compelling and interesting. But I remember thinking that I needed to have different expectations. Huh. Right? Because I kept on sort of being like, I can't taste anything. Not connecting to the fact that that was sort of the point. Did you? Because we sampled it on its own okay, first. Okay, rather than in a cocktail, And right? when you sample it on its own, it's really just flavored water. Like the mouthfeel is sort of If you're a trained taster, and, yeah. it is such a disconcerting experience. Mm. I agree. Like the first time I tried it neat, I was just trying to wrap my palate around it, uh, especially coming from a spirits background. I just didn't understand. And then when you get it into a cocktail, which is how it's intended to be served and as the base for, you know, a sophisticated non-alcoholic drink, sure. then all the flavors stratify. It really comes to life and you, you really start to understand it. But I think that moment is is kind of crucial in understanding that Seedlip and, and non-alcoholic spirits are just kind of a breed of their very own. And we kind of have to develop a new understanding and application for right. them rather than impose a, a classic cocktail template mm, onto okay. non-alc drinks. I have a, a question, though. The thing that I didn't really understand when we were tasting this stuff is what is it that Seedlip is offering that's something like another herbal tincture or bitters or something like that is not offering? Sure, then that's right? a great question. I think when people—and actually— Back up. I know when people yeah. goes to, go to bars, because I worked in them for so very long, uh, they're really seeking an experience. They're seeking that moment where they feel seen, they feel treated, they feel special. And a product like Seedlip invites a guest that might not be drinking for whatever reason hmm. into that full experience uh, by providing, you know, this beautiful bottle that the bartender pulls off the back bar. It's oh, placed it's right like beside. It's an inclusion thing. It is oh. actually, you hit the crux of okay. it. The pillar of our brand is inclusivity. Huh. And just, you know, avoiding any stigma that's attached to, that might be attached to choosing not to drink alcohol or not drinking uh-huh. alcohol. And bringing okay. the guest or the person fully into that experience of having a wonderful, you know, drink at a great bar. And the... You know, the way that the bottle's designed, um, we want the bartender to treat it the same way that, it, uh, you know, traditional alcoholic spirit would be treated and that they pour it, they mix it in front of you, you get that full delivery. Mm. Um, and I think that's really where what sets Seedlip apart besides the, you know, our complex production process and and all of the, the effort that goes into, like, making it a, a truly quality um, option. Which comes through in the flavor. Mm-hmm. The complexity. It's, we, we tasted the garden one. Yeah. And it was in within a very narrow narrow spectrum of notes, but within that narrow spectrum, so many notes. So yes. many things going and I, on. I feel I like for us, yeah. it didn't really click until we put it in tonic water and then it really bloomed. Yes, the tonic yes. really opened it up. That Absolutely. That is true. 
Yeah. And I am compelled about the notion of a thing because I don't think that liquor or, or distilled spirits behaves this way necessarily, where something that needs that needs other things. Right. It's, right. it's at its best when with others. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Which is not the case for necessarily for vodka and bourbon. And, you know, those 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 folks can hang out on them on their own. But I like this idea that it it's it's there to enhance other things. It's there to yes. work together with other things. And to that's a very part of a cool. Whole. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like a culinary approach. I, this, uh, that, when that's you're mixing what I'm a understanding. Totally. Cocktail with seed lip because depend they're all blends. So you you drank the garden, which is sweet peas. Uh, thyme, mint, mm-hmm. hops, and hay, right. all distilled and blended. And so depending on what you choose to mix with, the other ingredients that go into the cocktail, right. different elements of the blend will hop to the You're fore. You're going to open up or, different. Or, yeah. Oh, and it's really fun. It makes them endlessly amusing to play with yep. in cocktails because you can take them in so many different directions. Okay, so here we go. We're getting right to the crux of why I brought you in here uh, because I think – Maybe even two years ago, I was going to say ten years ago, the whole notion of something like Seedlip would, I mean, uh, I agree, would be completely I foreign. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I remember alcohol-free beer did exist, but it was at the, you ladies. know at the grocery store. <laughs> it and was a sad consolation prize for pregnant ladies. Not a lot of care and attention into the flavor necessarily. No, no, yeah. And now I'm seeing uh, in Europe huge strides with non-alcoholic beers, and I'm seeing uh, IPAs being produced in North America. There's Partake, which is well-known for making a range of different uh, flavorful. They still don't taste fully like beer. And then Seedlip comes along, and I just keep reading articles about the uh, no-alcohol, low-alcohol trend. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you talk to people. What are the most common reasons people choose not to drink or to mm. have a seed lip every now and again? I'd be, I'm sure there's a couple of them that keep coming back. Yeah, I think that there are so many different reasons why people don't drink. Um, allergy, a lot of people are allergic to alcohol is something that I'm discovering more and more. Um, people for medical reasons can't drink, mm-hmm. but they love that ritual of having a cocktail with yeah, and just their family the or their yeah. friends. Um, there are a lot of people on, I don't know, if, have you guys heard of this keto diet? Have I you, have. Have you heard I of yes. it? No. Right? <laughs> I've heard everyone's on it. I've heard everyone. a whisper. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, people are looking to curb their sugar consumption and um, their alcohol consumption because of that. Uh, health and wellness, again. So people are just like, oh, I'm trying to be more mindful. And then we're seeing a shift, especially in the industry, of more and more like, even high-profile chefs and bar owners Go choosing not to drink alcohol mm-hmm. any longer. Yep. So there's also that, and then you know the, the people also don't drink for a host of uh, cultural and religious reasons as well. Yep, that's um, true. So I I wouldn't say that there's like one that sticks out the most, but I think maybe the one that surprised me the most mm-hmm. is that a lot of people have legitimate allergies to alcohol. That is a new um, bit. And, and even they've been I'm stuck drinking Shirley Temples for right? all this time. Oh my that god, it sounds so like purgatory. Sad. Right. Yeah, oh. I have an allergy to all that sweet yeah, cranberry, whatever else it is. Roses, right? grenadine. Yeah. yeah. Let me let me have an accurate sense of what we're talking about here. How many people in like just in this country do you, do you reckon don't drink? So recently, I read an article in the Toronto Star stating that twenty percent of our population 20? in Canada does not consume alcohol. 
So that's a fifth of our population. And I think it's important to acknowledge that there have been so many people for a really long time that don't drink for a multitude of reasons. They've just never been serviced with a proper option. Oh, yeah. So, it was always mm, gross. You know, do you want yeah, sugary cranberry soda, the infamous something out of the gun soda. or yeah. a glass of water? Basically. Yeah. And I can't tell you as a bartender again how many, you know, ginger ales I poured into champagne flutes and, you know, oh, soda waters I was asked to disguise it as gin and tonics. And, you know, there's that shame aspect that goes with, hey, I'll have a, I'll have a mocktail. Don't yeah. tell my friends. And um, so that's really what these more elevated options are trying to eradicate. So no one should feel left out or, you know. Okay, but then does that mean, is it safe to say that this is just about serving an underserved population or market? Or is there, in fact, a rise in the number of folks who are not drinking? There is indeed a rise in it the number of folks like that's that the are truth, not drinking right? for many different reasons. So actually... Um, there was a report published recently by International Wine and Spirits uh, that stated that last year alcohol consumption dropped globally by 1.6%, which is when you look at it on a global scale, it's sure, significant. It's a lot even. Of people, yeah. And um, I think, well, first of all, younger generations are choosing not to drink. Um, or are drinking less. We have health and wellness firmly embedded in the zeitgeist at this point, this idea of self-care, mm. um, this careful consumption, just as though we want to know where our food comes from and why we're ingesting it. Uh, we want to know why we're ingesting our, our beverages mm -hmm. and what we're putting into our bodies um, and just being a little bit more judicious about you know, what that is, sugar content, you know, there's sugar has been demonized more and more and more. Indeed. So people are trying to avoid that. Um, so that classic sugary mocktail just won't cut it anymore. And then you add mm. to this, this premiumization that you see across beverage in a big way that's only set to continue rising. So people are interested in craft or like unique options. Right. They're interested in innovative products. They're interested in alternatives, um, but they're also willing to pay more for an experience versus then take that 20 bucks that they might have thrown at three vodka sodas in the past. They'll take that and take it to their favorite bar, to their favorite bartender and ask for a properly mixed mm -hmm. old fashioned or a really great non-alcoholic cocktail. Right, because they true. don't just want a thing yeah. from the gun. Exactly. Right? We want more than a thing from the gun. Yeah. I so this that. is part of a bigger a bigger trend, which yes. has then left a gaping hole in this one area. Because in other areas, of course, you can you can make an old fashioned. Yes. Uh, those tools are all there, but the the no alcohol crowd or the non the teetotalers, I guess they're called. Mm -hmm. um, they haven't really been serviced. No. And actually, I think that um, while of course Celeb is designed to be for absolutely anybody, um, so. It, Often it ends up being something that for for drinkers who have taste, who might enjoy a craft beer or a natural wine or a perfectly mixed bespoke cocktail, um, but they're, they may not be drinking alcohol in that moment in time, but they're still looking to go out and have that social experience with their friends. Mm -hmm. They want a non-alcoholic option that pairs well with food and the moment and doesn't make them feel left out. So when they're offered that choice, a lot of people, maybe it's a Monday night, they have a big meeting the next morning, they still have an event or, you know, a dinner planned they can go out and have that full, again, experience, but they don't have to consume, feel like they have to consume alcohol to have a good time. Oh. One of the articles I read talked about this, the extreme and how a lot of people find it a lot easier to just not drink than mm. to be selective. Mm -hmm. It's just easier to, to cut it out. You don't have to make 
you know, arbitrary decisions on when is right to drink, when is not to drink, and it's seen as the healthier option. Uh, and that that does worry me a bit. We were talking in an earlier episode about um, vegetarian options on menus right. and how very often yeah. vegetarian is seen as the healthy option. And then whatever, you know, if you're not vegetarian, then you got to have the fries with whatever you're eating. Yeah, with eating. your big right. fatty red meat. Yeah. Right. And uh, I was concerned to read about this polarization that it might also exist because it's okay to just drink every once in a while. For but sure. this idea of the ex- the extremes did worry me. So I'm glad to hear that what you're seeing more so is people making strategic decisions on different days. To Absolutely. Just choose something. And that makes sense. You know, I've had two cocktails. Everyone's ready for a third or some people came later. Mm-hmm. Let me have something delicious but non-alcoholic. I think that, you know, the topic of moderation is a really important one to examine. And that's how I, CLIP has become an important tool in my own life for, you know, moderating my own intake, again, as a bartender for so many years, mm. like, the only way you socialize is getting together over drinks sure, or going to events course. where that all sounds familiar. the best, yeah, yeah. I, you, I do not have to tell you. <laughs> um, so we have access to all the best things, things to drink all the time. Um, and so when I go out, I might start my evening with a nice glass of sparkling wine and one of my favorite things to drink. And then I'll move to a sea lip cocktail and then maybe I'll have another alcoholic drink and then maybe another seed lip and then call it a night. So I still am out for hours having a great time, feeling engaged and sipping on something complex and interesting, but I don't have to grapple with the consequences the next morning. You know, absolutely understand this idea of moderation and having options. I did come across a statistic, though, that really surprised me. And so this was in the UK specifically. They did a survey and more than a quarter of kids between 16 and 24 don't drink. Yes. More than a quarter. In the UK. Yes. Yes. The land of drinkers. That's super interesting to me because that's an age that I associate with uh, making making some mistakes in that area. Right. And so for this concerted decision to be happening, I feel like this is, you know, more than some people wanting to be healthy or or moderating. This is really uh, a larger movement. Well, I'm also very fascinated in this uh, from obviously given my work, but also as someone that spends a lot of their time just examining you know, the reasons why we drink on like a social sociological mm-hmm, yeah. scale. Um, I think a lot of it uh, has to do with social media, to be honest with you. Younger generations Interesting. Um, are going out and physically socializing a lot less mm-hmm, and spending mm-hmm. a lot time, a lot more time socializing with their, their network over screens. So there's that. And then we also see that this this idea of like instant documentation. So if you're out drunk being an idiot, maybe doing things that you know you're going to regret, that can be recorded and dis, you know Are disseminated you around. I had not thought yeah. of that. So this of course. We are there culturally. We're there. Yeah, people are really, really sixteen-year-olds. Joshna, sixteen, curate their image. True, I am super grateful that none, no footage exists of me at (laughs) sixteen. Woo! Yeah, I'm sure we're all in the same boat. Super grateful. Is it comparable to a bottle of booze, a bottle of seed lip? Uh, Assuming, because I feel like people will listen, and the automatic expectation will be that it is lots cheaper. Right. Yes. Uh, when the work that goes into producing that beautiful collection of complex flavors is really what you're going to pay for. 
Absolutely. Uh, but t- tell me, tell me if I'm on the right track with this thinking. Yes, you are on the right right track. It is a premium product, so it's priced similarly to you know a premium spirit. Okay. Uh, we call Seedlip a distilled non-alcoholic spirit because it. it is. Uh, we essentially go through the entire process of well, we macerate the plant material. We do use a neutral grain spirit in that uh, process to basically act as a solvent mm-hmm. on the plants, um, and. Then we take those and individually distill them in a copper pot still, removing the alcohol and then concentrating all of those wonderful plant essences. So that process takes six weeks. What happens to the alcohol? We put it back into the maceration process. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Closing the loop as much as possible. No booze left behind. Continue. (laughs) Exactly. And for context, I usually tell people, oh, yeah, well, like you can even the most premium vodka or the most premium gin you can distill in 24 hours or less. Mm, so important. it is an important thing to note. And also, if, you know, Seedlip is genuinely trying to change the way people think uh, about non-alcoholic options. Right. And I don't think you could ever do that successfully by putting out a, a bottom shelf product. Right. So we want people to feel, you know, empowered and excited to order a Seedlip because they see it on a back bar or on a list versus whisper to the bartender, please make me a mocktail. Yes. Don't tell my friends. Well, Josh, now, have you heard yeah. of an e-tongue before? No, no, tell me more. You've never worked with one? No, I've never worked with one. I've heard whispers of and have been very curious, but I have, have never. I have never. I had I hadn't heard of them at all, and you know what I picture in my mind is super fun. I, th- I think I almost <laughs> don't want to see one because right, I, I think it will disappoint. Dream, sure. It's probably just like a li- looks like a litmus paper or something. Right, then you drop something, yeah. But I came across an article in the Journal of Food Science, and etongs are now being used to test spicy foods. Right. Apparently. <laughs> These are the things we don't think of. Right. But who there the are people poor human who are subjects tasked might have been. Oh. <laughs> that their job is to test these spicy foods. Uh, side note, I have to ask you. The this article was pertaining specifically to spicy cheese, spicy paneer, which I have never spicy heard of. Spicy paneer. Is this something you're familiar with? I mean, and it's not any more of a thing than spicy chicken or anything else. Like it's just a way to cook the paneer. Interesting, because they were talking about the cheese specifically. They made it sound like the cheese was spicy. No, we're going to have to, no, we're gonna have to research thing. that further. Yeah, we, we'll need to research it. Unless so it's the, so somebody it's the sauce making, around the paneer. Yeah, and the way okay. it's cooked. Unless somebody is making paneer and putting like green chilies or masala inside, which really I would be very excited about. Interesting. Okay, if that is in fact the case, bring it in. Let's talk about it. But from what I understand, paneer remains the blank canvas that you know it to be. Great. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I wasn't yeah, missing yeah, it there because no, no. it does I, sound exciting, I would right? be sad to miss out on, on masala or chili paneer. Come on. So these poor people are tasked with tasting all of this, uh, these different iterations of this spicy food. And apparently between each bite, they have to take five minutes for their tongues five to, to recover. Five to relax and recalibrate. There's something about spicy food that when you eat it, it sends a wave of panic through your body. Yes. Of like, ah, uh, You might fire. die. <laughs> We're <laughs> and, in trouble. Yeah. And so for a minute, your brain can't quite register the flavor. So there's also this delay. It was a fascinating article. Oh, I love that. And so the e-tongue can vary precisely 
detect. Oh, bounce back. Yep. Uh, it can predict, uh, it can tell exactly how much spice is in there. And if you have, you know, 20 samples, the e-tongue can narrow it down to three, and then the tasters only have to deal with three instead of 20 samples. Oh, this is a, the machine is really helping the human out here. It is. It is. I'm, I'm fascinated by e-tongues in general. I was reading up on them, and they're normally used uh, for a variety of applications. I have lots of curiosity. Uh, one of them being detecting if honey's been adulterated in any way, detecting mm. if grapes are ripe, um, creating salt <laughs> so, blends. So no more, no more stealing a grape in the grocery store. <laughs> E-Tongue's going to do that for us. I love oh, it. Oh, amazing. Um, also used to create salt blends. So apparently they're trying to find ways to make food taste salty, but without too much sodium chloride. So mm-hmm. playing with different salts. Uh, and then drug formulation, seafood it's quality. It's true because so. the, the saltiness can really muddy up on your tongue. Right. Yeah. In a way that you're like, I, I can't find a clear way through this. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's only like I got to sleep on it or the next day to let my tongue relax. Really? Right. Like there are times even when I sometimes when I go and eat sushi. Right. When I've consumed yes. a higher, the, the soy sauce will burn, like tingle a little bit and it will render it will sort of uh, get in the way of everything else I eat for the rest of the day. It's interesting you right? mentioned that. I've had that experience, too, with yeah. sushi mm-hmm. specifically. Because you're dragging it in that soy so much, right? So maybe that that feels really helpful and useful. I know exactly what that fried circuit vibe is on the tongue. Wow. And my mind immediately went to beer because we have IPAs, which are incredibly bitter. And I've had the misfortune of being on a judging panel where they're tasting IPAs. And, you know, I have to judge 10, 15 IPAs back to back. And to keep your tongue fresh between each one, you want to do the brewer justice, obviously. I developed this uh, not particularly appetizing technique of uh, rubbing bread on my tongue. (laughs) Oh, did that work? Uh, It does, to a certain extent. Okay. Yep. Uh, It looks horrible. Uh, I get stares from everywhere, although I'll I'll often at a table get a few people mimicking me because it does work. And they're like, oh, I'll try that. They're like, what's she doing? I don't know. Um, So I end up, uh, you know, with a a lap full of soggy bread by the end of the Because you don't consume (laughs) the bread. You're just wiping with the bread. It's it's a lot of bread or else I'd be having bread and beer uh, all day. That's uh, it's too much. But, you know, that that would be an interesting application. I can think of so many applications. I am also so interested in the objectivity of an e-tongue. Okay, tell me more. Because, okay, so we're going to taste something. And because I'm a cook and I understand that there's this wisdom about the places on the tongue and the different tastes and, you know, flavors and stuff. So I will attempt to offer you as balanced feedback, right? And I've judged cooking competition, so I understand you got to sort of stay down the way, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, as opposed to just being like, I didn't like that. I did, you know, that was the most delicious thing. That's not helpful, right? Let's let's be more constructive. But I wonder if we did a lineup of human tastes of the same thing versus e-tastes, uh, you got to think that the e-taste is going to be uh, at least attempted at a more objective yeah. uh, synopsis. I, I'm actually dying to, yeah. to play with one to find out what Why? it is. Where, but do, where do we get any? It sounds like they're used, they're calibrated for very specific purposes. And it sounds like maybe one taste at a time because we talked about the application with spicy. Uh, so it's not like salty. e-tongue is not going to take um, a bite, a mouthful of food. Or a dish or something. I think it will, but it might only uh, report on one I see. aspect. You okay. might need multiple, from what I can see. Because okay. if they're testing grape ripeness, right, they're testing sugar. It's very drilled Clearly, down. That's very there was specific. the salt one. Okay. That's what the feeling I get, but maybe they will evolve. 
Oh, maybe, I love, there's a lot. Uh, maybe there's one day I'll be replaced by right? a bunch of e-tongues yeah, judging beer competitions. So I sent you that article, Joshna, yeah. about the study. It's, yeah. Super depressing. Super depressing. Super not not the vision of the world I was very excited to read about. No, it was a small sample, so yep. they only tested four hundred people. Um, and there's a study that was conducted in the in the U.S. Three different universities got together, and the goal was to see if women are at all uh, objectified or dehumanized when they drink. And so the way they conducted right, sort of the a study, giant question to ask too, right? It is. It is. Yeah. Um, so they had both uh, men and women participating in the studies, and then they showed them photos that looked like Instagram shots of women at a bar drinking a glass of water or a woman at a bar with a beer in hand, and then the same thing, a man with a glass of water and a man with a beer in hand. And the perception of the two men, whether drinking water or beer, was the same and uh, the perception of the woman with the beer was definitely like, oh, she looks like she's tipsy. Oh, she looks like she's, you know, probably single, probably a little oh bit more open God. to a one-night stand. They asked, you know, questions to understand how these women were being perceived. And here's what I felt was the most depressing piece of the study. Both men and women had that same perception. Oh, so even women looking oh, at the photo right. were making that same call. And so when it comes to the, the th you know, when you're talking about looking less human, um, the sorts of things they were looking for was, uh, you know, did they seem more mechanical, cold, unsophisticated, superficial, shallow, less intelligent, uh, less rational, a bit more like uh, loosey-goosey? Those are the right. kinds of questions they were asking. Yeah. Uh, and across the board, oh God, the the women were seen as uh, less human and more sexually available. Well, this uh, the the first thing that I connected to when I when I read a bit about this, and even now in this conversation, is the parallels around slut shaming. Right. Right. It feels like the very same vibe, uh, in in as much as there are different rules for men and women. You know, engaging in a very basic activity like sex or drinking, I suppose, uh, but that there's such different understandings of how genders engage with that activity is is a huge deal. For sure. I mean, yeah. the men weren't even the women looking at the men or, you know, any person who might have uh, been interested in that man looking at the man mm -hmm. did not did not see a difference between not the one drinking water and the one drinking beer. Right. Because uh, the what the the purity, well, like the the notion that a woman need re remain pure and and perceivably wholesome, I don't at all times. Like it just feels really archaic. That's right. A, it's I just don't understand. Would, what, what is like? This? Did they have problems with the with the the necklines and the shortness of skirts? Uh, you know, it's just the fact that. That we that we move so quickly from a conversation about how do you understand this person having one drink mm -hmm. in their hand? As I mean, be one thing if they were lined up with fifteen shots in front of them, but if it's an Instagram photo with somebody with a pint glass in their hand, how does that conversation move to uh, sexuality or I know. or what they might or might not be up for? 
right? But it did. It's, that is a very, board. very disconcerting. Uh, that's a har- that's a bit heartbreaking to think to realize that collectively we are still here with this conversation. It's it's ingrained. Uh, come on, everybody. On we some got, level, we got bigger fish to fry. It is though the internalization about about this spread in gender uh, sort of privilege and understanding. I agree with you. And here, this was a in case we're not depressed enough. Yeah, give it to me. A quote that really. Uh, I think, got to the core of why they did this study and where the real issue lies. Um, Because, you know, looking at a woman and thinking, oh, she's probably up for a good time. It's it's not necessarily harmful. Mm -hmm. Um, But here we go. Uh, the uh, The researchers found that people may be less likely to help a woman in a risky situation if she's been drinking because they might think she's interested in risky or casual sexual behaviors and therefore not think the situation is a threat to her. Oh, my God. Right. This is just like the fact that women are told to yell fire when they're being assaulted on the street. I haven't heard that. Right? This this no because because the the baseline understanding is that if they yell out for help honestly that people will not take them seriously. Really? Right? So like college age women, you know, living sort of on their own in a city for the first time, the mouthful that you get is if you are in fact attacked or something terrible like that happens, you yell fire because that is a much more reliable source of assistance than to, to scream about whatever your situation is. It's right? just so so horrible because um, the you know the women they're describing in this quote and the women you're talking about screaming for help you know these are vulnerable people totally. who do need assistance and you know you were and talking about like, slut shaming earlier yeah. the, it's it's the notion that we from just looking at some at a woman at an with Instagram a beer in her photo. hand like it's such a distance thing. Oh well, if she gets into some risky business, it's probably what she's into because she's so crazy, right? It's, it's like a drink equivalent of a short skirt, right? Right? Be like, oh, she was drinking, which is just, like it's just it's too much. Speaking of drink equivalent of a short skirt, the other thing that I was really curious about, hmm. and I'm so I'm really sad they didn't do further. Research, although you know they didn't do the research for me, is why beer, and I, I wonder yes. if that woman yes. was holding a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Is it somehow uh, classier or, if or it bubbles? Would have been perce- perceived differently, right? or you know, if the man was holding a glass of wine, or you know, I'm I guess I'm wondering if it's beer specific mm-hmm. because as we've discussed in the past, beer has more of a like jovial, convivial, yes, 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 uh, you know, up to mischief vibe. To it again, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, <laughs> again, it's true. you know, a, a part of uh, the, the fabric of how we see and, and think about mm-hmm. things that is distorted and wrong. But Let the record show. I was curious to find out how much the fact that it was a beer played into that. Hmm. And uh, it doesn't make me feel great. No, it doesn't at all. Particularly because there's this other conversation asking questions about why aren't there more women who are in beer? Why aren't there more women who brew beer? Like perhaps there's some, we've made a correlation here, but perhaps we have a bit of an answer to that question. Yeah, could definitely be a piece of it. If the world still has this ridiculously archaic notion of what it means if a woman is excited about a pint of beer, that might explain why, you know, the, the deterrent that is the brew house. If this is the price that women are paying, right? 
Yeah, although I have to be I mean, honest, I mean, I uh, drink feels, beer for a living yeah, and also for yeah. fun uh, in public, and I've I've never felt that. I was going to ask, like, has I've that never, ever been a thing? No, have you ever no, had that all. feeling? No. That's something that you do detect, even if it's just on a subliminal you know, like you don't exactly know, but you know that when you drink beer, you don't feel as good and you don't know it's because everyone around you is dehumanizing right. you. Um, right, right, right. Or if you're just, right? it's it just the, yeah, you just right. had too much beer. Right. So, you know. Ugh. I mean, look, important to uh, shine a light on the fact that this ridiculous nonsense is still a real thing. But wow, that's a blow. That's that's hard on the heart. Time for Curious Kitchen. Woo! So uh, I was a bit inspired by you for this Curious Kitchen, oh, Josh Nook, because nice. in the past when you've brought in things, sometimes they've been um, from your cultural background. Yes, yes. So I wanted to share a little something oh, from my cultural background. Wonderful. And uh, it's my favorite snack, one of my favorite snacks, oh. and something that uh, depending on who you hang out with, you might have already had. Okay. Um, but it's an interesting one because it's something I grew up with. And uh, which is very common in a number of cultures. But in my late teens and early 20s, I had a number of incidents where I tried to share it with friends. And uh, they were at at best curious and politely tried mm-hmm. it. But most of the time just found it so off, off-putting as a concept oh, yeah. that they uh, would not even try it. And so I've hmm. given up on sharing it, but I'm going to share it with you. Thanks. But maybe you've already had it. Hmm. Anyway, here it goes. You ready? Yes. Oh, wait. Okay, so you have put a can of lupini beans on the counter. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever had canned lupini beans. What? I eat them all the time. Really? So this is very big uh, in Italian cultures. Um, I know in Portuguese uh, and in various areas. And for some reason, the fact that you can just open a can and eat the beans out of the can yeah. uh, bothers people. Really? But it's a delicious snack. People are weird. So you haven't had them before? No. Exciting. All no, right, I so, haven't. I see the can. Yeah. And I know that this is a thing, but I actually I couldn't tell you what they taste like. Okay. Um, so if you want to grab one, I'll show you the yep. proper way to, to oh, eat oh, one. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so you'll see that it's uh, the yellow bean and then there's a skin around yeah, it. Yeah. So what you want to do is find the little hole on uh-huh. the skin and then use your teeth to um, break that hole like open a, a little bit more. It's a little like a fava And then game. you just pop it out. Oh. You're kidding me. Oh. Ah! <laughs> across the room. I've been okay. doing this since I was a small child. Let's try so, one more. Yeah, oh my god, but I'm into the saltiness happening right now. So you have to get an <laughs> flying across what's the room. Your, what's the secret? I have to go collect uh, the beans can, off of the floor later on. What is the secret? Um, what is the secret? Like I said, I've been doing this since I was little. Um, I think you want to make sure you have a full, a really a full length slit and then you can just oh you've right taken out. off oh you got it yeah because i think i'm pushing it through too small a hole okay and then that's what the explosion is all about <laughs> although that's fun oh there, there it is like a pro who are the weirdos that are not this is salty and delicious it's salty and delicious but it's also beans straight out of a mm. can which is what um 
So that's oh the God. proper way. I'm into this. Um, and so, it, you know, it's not unusual in my family when the men, the men are all playing cards uh, and sometimes the the women, the women's to, <laughs> to end up yes. with a nice pile of, oh uh, of lupini skins pocket. on the side. Yep. Um, so that's the proper way, the Mirella way. Mm-hmm. I just eat them whole. Oh, girl. Yeah. Completely Is different texture. Extra? A little bit saltier. But I much prefer it with the skin on. So I thought I'd let you experience that mm-hmm. as well. So this is something we'll often eat, you know, with a aperitivo as we're waiting for the meal to be ready. Um, I love it with just a, a pilsner, anything bitter. I was going to say for sure I want a cold beer here. Mm-hmm. These are delicious. They're Moorish, aren't they? You just want to keep 100%. eating them. 100%. Plus, I like the that you have to do a little bit of work. Yes. Yeah, I'm into that, way. like peanuts. Yeah. I guess I'm too lazy. Um, so, oh my God, now that, oh look, no more shooting across the studio now, I figured this out. These are delicious. I have no idea. I'm thinking about fava beans is the other context right. that I know this, right? In my world, this is just it's a just snack. It's just about this. Yeah. Uh, are yeah, fava but, beans this salty? No. Okay. But the freshies, right, you've got to pull that skin off because mm-hmm. it doesn't cook. I don't know. I'm prepping for this segment. I started reading about lupini for the first time. To me, they're just a a snack that we have around the house. Mm. Um, But uh, they're they're fascinating. And uh, I wouldn't know where to start cooking with them. But perhaps that's something that you can. Well, that might be my new experiment. Oh, I love these. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying The Hot Plate, rate us or leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Thank you to Joshna for joining us today. Hot Plate is recorded at Eggplant Picture and Sound Studios. Our audio engineer is Brad Tigwell. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. That's a wrap.